Good morning, WCF. It's great to see you all here on this New Year's Eve. I invite you to stand and let's start this off with worshiping our God. Good morning. 
morning and happy new year. Good morning and happy new year. You guys, you guys are awake. Maybe 10 o'clock is a better time to start services. I don't know. Awesome. We, uh, <laughs> always somebody. We are uh, super excited to be able to celebrate New Year's Eve with you all and, and be able to enjoy this time to worship God and take a look at God's Word. We're going to be taking a look at uh, Jesus' Word to His disciples in a bit about the end. Uh, before that, though, there's a couple of things we want to bring to your attention. Because it's the fourth Sunday or the last Sunday of the month, we always recognize a new missionary to be able to pray. There's a lot of New Year's Eve or New Year's resolution things. One of the encouragements I encourage you, um, it's a good time to start a Bible read-through, reading the Bible through in a year. That's a good thing to do. It's a good time to be able to set aside devotion time and prayer time. And part of that prayer time could be praying for our missionaries and Every month we, we set you up for the, the missionary for the next month. So uh, Steve and Satomi Sakamoto are, are missionaries for, that we're going to be praying for in January. So we have a little video clip that we want to share with you, and then we'll pray for them. Okay, here we go. Hello. Hello to our church family at Warren Community Fellowship. We are Stefan and Satomi Sakamoto, missionaries in Japan. We are with team. The Evangelical Alliance Mission. We have been in Japan as career missionaries since 1999. Thank you for your loyal prayers and faithful support all these years. We have two daughters, Jesse and Jenny. Both of them are married and now living in the States. Jesse and her husband, Jennings, are in Richmond, Virginia, and have two daughters. Nina, a three-year-old, a three-years-old, and June, one-year-old. Jenny and Oscar are in Sherwood, Oregon, and have a five-year-old daughter, Sophia, and a three-year-old son, Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. Since 2015, we have been focusing on making missional disciple-makers through huddles and missional communities. Currently, I lead three huddles, one which is in Japan, here in Kobe, in Japanese, for Japanese church leaders. Satomi helps, also helps lead. A huddle is for investing our time and heart into a group of people to train them to become missional disciple makers. We meet every week and together we learn the life patterns that Jesus lived out to, uh, for making disciple makers and process together to be more like Jesus. Satomi leads a monthly MC, missional community, with some of our Kobe Hado women. We invite non-believers who are interested in the Bible. In our MC, we do fun things together, talk over lunch, and have a beginner's Bible time from Genesis. We often do etegami, um, postcard painting, like this, 
request. One time, uh, for fun activities, one time we made an American baking dish together and everyone loved it. In addition, Satomi leads a weekly women's Bible study. We also gather um, a husband's marriage group and a wife's marriage group monthly at our house. And Satomi regularly invites women she meets in our neighborhood into our home for tea, for evangelism. Thank you, Warren Community Fellowship, for standing with us in prayer and support in this ministry. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> One of the things that, that we really appreciate uh, with Stephan and Satomi is the fact that they are making disciples that make disciples. And that really is the key in the calling. Um, as the, the end of days draws closer, you think about all of those people that haven't heard the gospel message yet. And, and so it's important for us to be able to uh, follow that, that commission. And, and I love the fact that they're doing it within their community. Let's go ahead and let's pray for them. Um, Father, we thank you. We thank you for Stefan and Satomi. We thank you for the ministry and, and the mission that they have. And these many years that we've partnered with them in the, in the great account. Lord, we would ask that you would bless them and keep them this next year, that you continue to give them open doors to make disciples, and that the disciples that they make would make disciples also. That we would see the gospel spread throughout Japan and, and their city and their region as they work as, as part of a team that is doing this, this same pattern. Lord, we would ask that we would learn from this and that perhaps we could duplicate that here that in our community we would meet in our homes and with others and make disciples also. We thank you for their ministry, and, and may you continue to provide for them and for their, their children. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue our worship through giving as the ushers come forward for this morning's worship and, and offering, and we'll continue in singing. God, we thank you. You're amazing. You are patient and kind and always providing. And Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege to gather together as a church body in this place. Lord, you have always been with us and you will always be with us. We want to acknowledge the fact that, that we depend on your sovereignty and your power and your presence, even now. Holy Spirit, fall fresh. May you receive these offerings as the gifts intended, as a response of what you've provided for us, and may you be blessed by everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.
There'll be no more. 
absolutely amazing, God, and just prepare us today, God. Prepare us every day for the second coming, God. Just send your son. Come, Jesus, come. Just help us to hear the words of Pastor Carrie today and just help us to continue to be prepared every single day, God, because we never know when it's going to happen. Thank you that you sent your son the first time, God. Thank you that he died on the cross for us, God. Thank you for today. And in Jesus' name, amen. Are we there yet? You know, you go on a long trip with the kids and they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? We just got in the car. When we take a look at Christmas time, we, we focus on the first advent. For thousands of years, they were looking for the the coming of the Messiah, and only a few people actually caught it. For over 2,000 years, we've been looking for Jesus' second coming, His second advent. And the church really was looking for, for Jesus to return And Jesus had given us signs, both in His first advent and in the second advent, of His coming. We watch the news and and see the surroundings, and you talk with people and they, they make the statement, what in the world is happening? What's this world coming to? You know, I even watching the news this morning and, and trying to catch up on what's going on in Israel. And then hearing the local news and and laws and different things, you ask the question, can it get any worse? You never want to ask that question. You you never want to say, can it get any worse? Because the answer is, yeah, it could. And it will. But it's been getting bad for a really long time in these things. And, and, And people they view the circumstances and, and the things in the world. And there's really kind of two ways to, to view the circumstances of the world and the world system that we're in. You can view it with joy because it brings about a great anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. Or you can view it with great fear and trepidation because of all the turmoil and all the, all the horrible things that are happening within that. And so many times people look at the situations that are, that are going on around them and it develops a paralyzing kind of fear where you're scared of everything and everybody that's around. And you ask the question, when things are getting bad and getting worse, God, are you really in control? Well, what is the answer to that? Is God in control? Yes, he absolutely is. But when things get really bad, as human beings that are very temporal in, 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 in our flesh, we look at it and we, we start freaking out. We start freaking out because it attacks where we live in, in, in this condition. Even though spiritual man knows the promises of God, temporal man says, oh, this one's going to hurt. It's going to get bad. And fear and despair of all of these things and sudden disaster, that's our natural response. 
Because we live in a flesh, then this flesh can die. But I want to challenge that presupposition of how we view things. That in 2024, instead of looking at things through the eyes of, of temporal man, that you develop spiritual eyes. That you look at things from a spiritual sense. The Bible is a constant reminder that prophecy will come about the way that God says it will come about. That if God says it will happen in a certain way, it will happen according to His Word. And, and the, the proof of prophecy really is in Scripture. When you study the Bible and God says it will happen this way and, and then it happens, you can learn and grow in your faith. God always warns man prior to judgment. Always. Always warns man about the things that are going to happen. We know it with Noah. We know it with Sodom and Gomorrah. We know it with all the different things. And the same thing is true with us. And throughout human history, man has not listened to the warnings that God has set out. Did God tell everyone that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem? Yes, but did they listen? No. Did Jesus say, I'm going to return? The answer is yes. He's, the angel said, the same way you saw him go up is the same way he's going to come back in the air. In the book of Revelation, and men, I encourage you, join us on, on Wednesday morning. Uh, we meet at 5.30 for prayer and Bible study. We're doing the book of Revelation. We just started chapter 6 and unveiling the seals and the judgments and the scrolls. And if you can't make it, you can watch it on, on, online with us and, and zoom in with that. But the problem is God always tells us ahead of time what's going to happen. And he gives us the promise and the solution. So first and foremost, don't freak out. Read the rest of the book. Because it tells us exactly how God is going to bring all of this together in the end. And so, there is a way to embrace chaos with peace. If you have confidence in the peacemaker. If you have confidence in the sovereignty of God. And I would venture to say to the extent that you have confidence in the sovereignty of God would be the extent of you have peace in chaos. Does that make sense? To the extent that you have confidence in God's sovereignty will, will give you that level of peace in the midst of chaos within this. If we accept that God is sovereign, and we should, that He's in control of all history, and He is within this, then we can accept the end of the account of the book that is our future for all those that have put their faith and trust in Him within this. So we're going to walk through a passage here that Jesus had a conversation with His disciples over 2,000 years ago about the end and what they should be looking forward to. And He explained it completely to them. He wanted His disciples to understand His ministry on earth was coming to an end. He was going to transition to heaven to be our advocate. But he was going to leave the disciples there and they were sitting out overlooking Jerusalem and overlooking the temple within this. And he shocks them. He shocks them with a statement of destruction and desolation that's going to come. But he also gives the promise of a second advent. And he gives a messianic timeline by which all of this is going to take place. Again, God is not a, a, a random God where he just goes, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to do that today. He has everything mapped out. And if we trust in Him that He's in control, and we should, then we should understand 
the things that will take place will take place, including the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. and the repopulization of the nation of Israel as we see within this. All of this is all wrapped up in Luke's message. We're going to read through this passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 21, verses 7 through 28. It's a rather long section, but we need to read it in its entirety. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we give respect to God's Word in the reading of God's Word. And may the Holy Spirit be the one that teaches us this morning. In Luke chapter 21 with verse 7, it says, They questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be a sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, don't be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. And then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and the prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you an utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. And then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, and so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the land. Wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until, note, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be a sign in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on the earth, dismay among the nations and perplexity at roaring of the seas and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world for powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. God, we surrender our hearts to you, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us now that we would not be moved by the things that we see, but that we would be alerted to your coming, Lord Jesus. And may we be those people that are ready. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, as I said, they were in the temple earlier. They were taking a look at all the things, the widow's might and all that, and they came out and they're overlooking the temple. And the, one of the first things that Jesus says to them in verses 7 and 11 is, wake up, be watchful. There is this 
slumber that can fall upon people in the world today. It's called complacency. We get into this place, we become complacent in our lives, our spiritual being, in ourselves. We just become complacent, spiritually lazy, where we're just kind of going along and floating downstream and just doing all the things that are going on and not really paying attention to, to our lives. God has given to us some specific signs to let us know the trajectory of the world so that we would be aware and not be under dismay. So we know how to respond in times of chaos and when everything is going sideways within this. And so we know that one of the things that's going to happen, specifically in context here, is that the temple was going to be destroyed within this. They ask the question, when are these things going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed within this? And, and so one of the things that was going to happen was local disorder. You've got to understand, in the Jewish culture at that day, the temple was the center seat of Jewish government. It was it. It was where everything from the Jewish culture, everything happened within this temple. And they worshipped at the temple, their government was at the temple, everything was there. But Israel rejected their Messiah, and by rejecting their Messiah, they brought down the wrath of God upon them. They brought down judgment. And one of the things that was going to happen was the destruction of the capital. You take a look at verse 7. It says, For as to these things, what things? The things that you're looking at will come upon. There'll be no stone left unturned. Un it'll be torn down, verse 6. When we go to Jerusalem, and we're still debating on, on going where our plan is to go this March, Lord willing. When we go there, though, what you see is not, you see the Temple Mount or the Temple Platform. Why? Because the Temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and these big stones were pushed off. There was a massive fire within this revolt and the Jewish revolt and the gold that was in the Temple all melted. And in order to recover the gold, they dispersed all of these big, huge stones out to chisel out the gold and burn everything down. The destruction of the Temple marks the end of the Jewish government within the land at that day. But by all means, understand this. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It is God's land that is there. But by destroying the temple, and it was destroying this, this center seat of government, it was as a result of Israel being rebellious against God and rejecting the Messiah. Now, what would it be like today, if we were to put it in context of our world, of, of the White House? being utterly destroyed. They make movies about that, don't they? And <laughs> we pay money and we go watch it for entertainment. Which is kind of weird anyways, when you think about it. You, you, you think about the destruction. It would be the center seat of government within this. But Josephus, this historian, he writes this. He says this, That splendid city of worldwide renown, 40 years after Jesus' prophecy, Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. And all the rest of the wall encompassing the city so that it was completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors no spot on the ground for believing that it ever inhabited. This is what Caesar had determined to do. To be able to destroy the temple in such a way, according to Josephus, who was the Jewish historian at that time, said it was Caesar's intent to destroy the temple in such a way that when people looked at it, they would believe that it never existed at all. Hmm. 
Do we hear that today in the rhetoric, in the news, in the media, where people want to utterly destroy the nation of Israel from the rivers to the sea so that there is no remnant at all? I can tell you this, they tried it once and failed miserably. They're going to try it again and they will what? Fail miserably. Why? Because God's word is sure. And within this, and we see God in this place where he is, he is holding his plan. But within this, there was a destruction. The other thing that Jesus warns about within this at that time, verse 8, is see to it that you are not misled. Why? Because there's going to be many false prophets that come about, that try to mislead. Understand, Satan is a deceiver. He wants to get you messed up. He wants to lead you astray. Do we have false prophets and false teachers in our world today? Yes. More than during the time of the disciples? I believe so. And what do they have access to? They have access to us through social media and and all of these different things that figure out your algorithm and they start giving you things to deter you from believing the truth, pursuing lies. It is amazing to me that this generation that we have right now that is so entrenched in, in social media is getting their information from social media. Caution, church. Do not get your information from social media. It will lie to you. It will, it will tell you falsehoods and, and, and get you to, fall, to follow other things. I believe that the false leaders and teachers are not just the religious ones, but the political ones. There are people today that are saying the Holocaust never happened. There are people today that are saying October 7th in Israel, the, the massacre of, of so many Israel uh, Jews that were there never happened. They're saying it never happened. Why? Well, because I got it on YouTube or some stupid thing. As a young person in this room, do not get your information from social media. It, it, it is not there. In fact, I would say jettison it and, and just go to God's Word within that. Try to find something that is going to give you truth, people that are there. Over the, over the last few months, I've been contacting uh, people that I know in Israel that are living there to get my information because I need to understand what's going on as a pastor and as a leader. Satan is going to raise up many false leaders to draw people away. And it's not just religious leaders. As I said, it's political leaders within that. It's so easy to swipe and, 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 and do all of these things. But the problem is we need to understand that they want to draw us away. We need to be aware of those false leaders that want to take advantage of us. Because if they can get you to believe a lie and they replace the truth with a lie, then you're deceived and you're lulled into complacency. So Jesus tells His disciples, be aware, there's many people that are going to come in My name and say, I'm He, and don't go after them. A lot of people were proclaiming the end of the days during the disciples' time. Don't go after them. There is one absolute truth, and that's the Word of God. Stick to it. Understand it. Know it. Everything that we need to know that pertains to life and godliness is in this book. When I was teaching Sunday school with the little kids and, and, and kids in junior high and high school, I'd give them this acronym. Do you know what Bible stands for? B-I-B-L-E? 
Yeah, I know you guys want to break out in a Sunday school song. but <laughs> Basic instructions before leaving earth. That's all you need to know. Now you can sing it if you want. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus says not only are there going to be false prophets, and they've been escalating, but verse 9 he says, and there's going to be universal conflict. Don't be terrified. No, it says when you hear, not if, when you hear of wars and disturbances, don't be terrified for these things, note, must take place first. But the end's not yet. Has the world been in conflict? Will it remain in conflict? Yes. So all these knuckleheads that are running around going, well, we're just going to have peace on earth. We're all going to get along. Let's just all coexist. Drives me nuts. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why? Because sinful man does what sinful man does. He's self-centered, narcissistic, kills and destroys. And he's driven by the prince of the power of the air, Satan, who is motivating all of that. Why? Because Satan wants to destroy everything that God loves. That's you and I. That's mankind. We were created in God's image, the Mago Dei. Satan wants to destroy you, your family, everything. And so within this, yeah, there's going to be wars, there's going to be conflicts, specifically for the Jewish revolts that were going to happen from 68 to 70 A.D., He's telling these disciples, in their lifetime, you're going to see something happen that you never thought would ever happen. The temple's going to be destroyed. Israel's going to be displaced. And the land is going to become barren and overrun by wild animals for a period of time. You never thought that would happen. But the end is not here. Could that happen to our blessed United States? So many people are walking around going, oh, the United States is the most powerful nation in the world. We are Really? Pay attention. Wake up. We are losing ground. Well, let's just get it better. Read the rest of the book. The power has to shift from the United States as being the world power to Europe. Economically, it has to shift to Europe. If you didn't already figure out now, the yen is replacing the dollar as the national currency. And read the rest of the book. The U.S., United States, nowhere mentioned in prophecy. Not there. Wars and rumors of wars, they're happening? Yes. Are they going to escalate? Yes. But the end is not year. Don't freak out. Understand that just as the disciples thought it would never happen to them, Israel thought it would never happen to them, we need to be awake. Verses 10 to 12, there's going to be global chaos. Look at, it says, Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines. Plagues and famines? COVID? You think about a global plague that radically changed the trajectory of the world. Plagues and famines. Yeah, so we had other diseases, but nothing like this. And we still don't know to the extent. 
and all of these other things. Why is nation rising up against nation? Because God is inciting nation against nation. He's inciting these godless nations to fight against each other within this. Isaiah 19.2 says this, So I will incite Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will each fight against his brother, and each against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. Does God incite war? The answer is absolutely what? Yes. Why? To fulfill his perfect plan and purpose. He would bring the Babylonians against Israel for judgment against them. He would bring the Assyrians in against them. You say, well, what kind of loving God is going to incite war? Because He has to be a righteous God that has to judge sin. And so He will bring these nations in as tools that are that's being used to judge sin within the world. And we, uh, we think about catastrophic events. In Luke's day, in 79 A.D., Luke witnessed the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Most frequently, we're seeing eruptions and volcanic activity that's happening in the northern seas. We're seeing all kinds of different things that are happening in, in various places, global disasters and all of these things. Does God use global disasters for His plan and His purpose? Sure. Think about the flood. Did God use the flood of Noah? For his plan and his purpose and judgment. The answer is what? Yes. So when we see these earthquakes and all of these things that are happening, should we freak out? The world's coming to an end. The answer is yeah. Freak out? No. Why? God's in charge. God's got this. We need to react compassionately and with kindness to those that suffer. And, and as much as we can while we're still on this earth, help meet people's needs. As, as, as bringing them hope and truth, and be those peacemakers. We've got to understand that historically, natural disasters have been many, and God's wrath. But does it mean that the end is, is, is right now? No. Jesus would say it's like a woman that is in travail. These are birth pains that are getting us closer and closer to the end and the destruction. When you read Revelation and you see the different. Um, Seal judgments and bold judgments. These are huge cataclysmic events where one quarter of the earth is going to burn with fire and all of that. These are all things that will happen. Why? Because we are not going to save planet earth. Planet earth is going to be destroyed. And that's not a pessimistic view. That's a, that's a realist view. Because this whole creation of earth that we sit on, this rock, is contaminated by sin and has to be destroyed. It cannot... No, the same way that this temporal body cannot inherit the eternal, temporal earth that's contaminated by sin and all creation cannot enter into the eternal. That's why at the end of the book of Revelation, God is going to build a what? New heaven and a new earth. So don't get attached to this place too much. We can, we can live here, but, un, but hold it very loosely. And we can live with confidence knowing that even though this world is falling apart, God's still in control. And to the extent that we trust in the sovereignty of God is going to be the extent that we have peace in the midst of chaos within us. So what should we do? Be watchful, personally. Say, well, it happens globally. 
personally, you're going to get attacked. Verses 12 to 19, Jesus says specifically to the disciples, and he starts out that phrase, but. So this is, this is one of those words that we use. It's a transition word. That means that there's something new coming. But before all of these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you and deliver you to synagogues, prisons, bringing you before kings and governors. That's the whole book of Acts, isn't it? Has it been happening like that since then? Christians being persecuted, brought before judges, and, and wrongly treated? Absolutely. We know that the persecution is going to come. Why? Because Satan is turning his attention against the church, the body of Christ. If you're a Christian and you're working in a, in a secular job and you're treated poorly because you're a Christian, understand, it's not a you thing. It's a God thing. They're angry at, at God, but they're taking it out on you within this. As you declare, notice it says, for my name's sake, if you're persecuted because you're a jerk, that's on you. But if you're persecuted because you're naming the name of Christ, because you're following after Christ, that's a spiritual battle. And how do we fight spiritual battles? Prayer. Prayer within this and understanding that God's in charge. And then we look for opportunity because he goes on and he says, look it. And when you're persecuted in whatever context, it could be family, it could be occupation, it could be society. In any way, when you're persecuted as a Christian, Jesus says that's the opportunity to, for you to give testimony. So you go, okay, what am I going to say? You know what else is cool? He says, don't worry about it. Well, but, 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 don't worry about it. Rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the words that will be spoken at that time. So as we know, as Paul would be tried multiple times, Peter, all of the disciples... Every time they were brought before magistrates, they were able to proclaim the word of God and the truth of God because it was Holy Spirit inspired. If you can give a message from your ideas, it's temporal and it's not going to do the work of God. But if you can deliver the message that comes from the Holy Spirit, then you just become a conduit of God's power and God's conversation and blessing to that person that's persecuting you. And we see examples of that time and time again within this. We know Paul was brought before uh, or would um, bring persecution to the church until he got turned around. Acts 9-2 says this, and, and Paul asked for letters for him to go to the synagogues of Damascus that he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he led this campaign of persecution against Christians. In the church today, we have, a, we have persecution that's crazy some later some latest statistics that i i discovered was this more than uh, 360 million christians suffer at least high level of persecution and discrimination in their faith 360 million in the top 50 countries alone in the world 312 million christians now face very high or extreme levels of persecution and worldwide one in seven Christians now experience at least a high level of persecution or discrimination, and one in five in Africa, two out of five in Asia, and one in 15 in Latin America. American Christian, we have it pretty easy. 
compared to our Christian brothers and sisters who are throughout the world within this. Persecution's coming. But trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the resolve and the answers to be able to respond accordingly. And when you're persecuted, instead of looking inwardly of how the persecution is treating you, look outwardly and say, okay, God, what are you going to do with this? What is my opportunity? This person is mistreating me. What is the opportunity that I can speak truth, your truth? Holy Spirit, I'm depending upon you. Every conflict and every persecution has an opportunity to present the gospel. But you've got to be bold to take it. And then, even worse, it hits more closer to home in verses 16 and 17. That persecution is going to come from your family, from the people that are close. Notice what he says. But you will be betrayed by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you, because they, you're hated all because of my name within this, you would think that your family and your friends would not persecute you. They're relatives. Some of the most difficult persecution comes from family and friends. Why? Because they hurt you to your core. They hurt you to the being of you within this. And in, in Israel's day, when the Roman Empire would come in and they would do their sweep, they would look for all the Christians. And then the non-Christian brother would turn in the Christian brother to save his own neck within that. Has that happened since then? For sure. Does it happen all the time? Absolutely. If you're going to name the name of Christ, if you're going to be a Christ follower and dedicate yourself to that, just understand that persecution is not going to be just from the outside of the world, but it's also going to be in family and friends. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 12, 51 to 53, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. In In other words, all of these family relationships will be solid until the name of Jesus is proclaimed and then they start breaking down. That is because of the spiritual battles that take place within this. When you stand for the name of Christ and you're persecuted because you're a Christ follower and that's going to happen, expect it. And even if your life is in jeopardy, even if they're going to put you to death, remember this is temporal. What they do to this body cannot touch your soul. Your eternity is secure. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says this, He says, all of this persecution, yet not a hair on your head will perish. Now, I always wonder about this passage for those that have no hair on their head. (laughs) So all my bald brothers start growing a mustache because I think that counts. But what what is he really saying? Within this, it's, it's not, it's not that all of this is going to, your body's not going to be saved within that. You could die, but they can't touch you eternally. In Luke twelve seven it says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. 
for you are more valuable than the sparrows within that. And Luke 12, 8 to 9 says this. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So how do we know that I'm eternally secure? I will confess Jesus as Lord and Savior regardless of the circumstances and conditions that I'm in. You know, I think back on the Ethiopian Christians, if you remember that, that image so many years ago, that they were all in the orange jumpsuits on the beach. Right? About to be beheaded. And they wouldn't deny the name of Christ and would lose their life. You would think about those, the, the, the one Christian that was inside that, that rail, uh, that cage, burned alive. The amount of people that were martyred and put to death and still are to this day. And you say, well, Carrie, how does it work? Because they die. Not touching their soul. Not touching their soul. How do we know that? How do we know that the body could be destroyed but you can't touch the soul? Well, you can start with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Did they kill Jesus? The answer is absolutely what? Yes. But could they touch him? The answer was no. And because he lives, conquered sin and death, all those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, even if this body perishes, and it will, because you don't get to take it with you. I don't know anybody that wants to take it with them, but... Can't touch your soul. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. So your security eternally is in the hand of God. Jesus would say in John chapter 17, Father, I thank you that no one can take them out of my hand. And in Romans, I'm fully persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities or powers, things above or things below, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. You're eternally secure. And if this body goes away, and it will at some point in time, you're still going to be with the Lord. Paul would say to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. The real fear of persecution is, is yeah, the, that short-term suffering. But the eternal outcome outweighs that, that limited suffering. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says this, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But I will warn you, whom to fear? Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who's that? God. Who will destroy the body and cast the soul into hell? God. Who is that? Those that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. At the end judgment, the white throne judgment. Again, it's in the book. Look at it. Understand. That really is the end. So we can live with confidence that even though the world's falling apart, even though this body's falling apart, I can be at rest. He goes on to the disciples saying to be watchful of the desolation. What's going to happen? Verses 12, 20 to 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, and we know that under Titus they did that, and then recognize that her desolation is near, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, those who are in the midst of the city leave, and those who are in the country do not enter because of these days, vengeance, so that things be written will happen. In 70 AD, there was an, 
there was this desolation of the temple. And he says, if you're there, run. I love the fact that Jesus says, if you're there, run. <laughs> don't, stay, just don't stay in a burning city. Get out. Go flee. Go flee out to Petra or the deserts or wherever they're at. Jerusalem was encircled by the Roman army within this. This was fulfilled. What is the benefits of having Jerusalem fall like this, according to the prophecy of Jesus? What's the benefit? If he prophesied such a great event and it took place exactly as the way he said it, then will the prophecy of the end of days be exactly the same way that he says it? The answer is what? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is founded on fact. And God has given us plenty of evidence to believe in the future events because He's fulfilled the past. And there was a time of punishment. Jerusalem will fall. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah. In Luke 19.27 it says, But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence within this. It's a judgment within this. Those that don't want God to be God, those that don't want to surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, will be cast off. You really don't want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? You're going to get what you ask for. But you're not going to like it within this. And the judgment is complete and without mercy. Verses 23 to 24, he says, Woe to those who are pregnant and nursing and babies and, and all of these things. I mean, it is a complete judgment. These wars, according to Josephus, were so ruthless that no record to date could compare with the suffering that took place. I would say, with the exception of what Hamas has just done. The atrocities. Why do we know that we are getting closer? Because the atrocities are starting to escalate to that level. When you have people that are doing things, and because there's young people in the room, I won't describe them. Things that no human being should ever do to another human being. The atrocities are horrendous within this. And we see these things. Consider the suffering of the last day. And again, guys, we'll get to this here. In, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong, every slave and free man, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they said to the mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of wrath has come. Who was able to stand when Jesus returns with His judgment and His vengeance? People are going to go and they're going to go say, Please, bury me alive. Kill me with these rocks because it's going to be so bad within this. Falling by the edge of the sword, Josephus said that those that were killed in Jerusalem's destruction were one million. Ninety-seven thousand Jews were taken into slavery at that time. It's going to be bad. So what should we do? Wake up. Be watchful. Verses 25-26 in on, or 25 to 28 says this, there will be a signs of sun and moon and stars. God is going to give cataclysmic signs in the heavens. 
It's interesting that just this last week they declared a, a dangerous asteroid. And did you catch the name of the dangerous asteroid? The god of what? Chaos. Scientists are, are using the name God and they called an asteroid that's supposed to slingshot close to the earth and cause all these problems. And they called it the God of Chaos. But you don't believe in God. Dumb people. But we look at this and there's going to be signs within this. God has established the stars in the solar system as signs in Genesis chapter 114 says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, separate day and night for them to be a sign for the seasons and for the days of the year. A sign for the seasons. Is the end of days a season for mankind? Yes. In Genesis, he says, I'm going to give you signs in the sky of when your season is over. Within this. We've got to understand that that. We are told to look up. Jesus ends this whole pericope, this section that is here. He says, after all of these signs in the skies, these cataclysmic events, these wars and, 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 and desolations and all of these things that happen globally, then they will see the Son of Man coming. Who's the they? All of those that denied the authority of Christ that are left on this earth. He doesn't say we. He says they. Where's the we? In heaven. How do I know that? Read the book. Revelation 19. Joining Christ in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and when Jesus returns, we'll be with Him. Within this. We'll be celebrating his return with him as he comes back and sets up his kingdom for a thousand years within this. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says this, And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come just as the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And he will be coming with a cloud. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who, those who pierced him and all the tribes on the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. Look at that carefully. He is coming with the clouds. The cloud of what? The cloud of witnesses, the church. Every eye will see him on earth. Who are the eyes that see him? Those that pierced him and rejected him. Is the end near? Yep. Should you be worried about it? Nope. Not if you have Christ in your heart. Not if, not if you have surrendered your, your, your life to Him and He holds your life. But if you haven't done that, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. Because when that day comes, when that judgment comes, there is no escape. The only way to avoid that suffering, that judgment, that pain, that sorrow that's before us, the only way has been provided through Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 2024. Will Jesus come back? He could. Hopefully. But before that has to happen, He has to take the church out. 
And we're still here. So next week, if you show up here and there's no one to teach, (laughs) figure it out. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you give to us the confidence that even though the world seems to be falling apart, even though there's chaos, there's all this stuff that's going on, we can look up because our redemption is drawing near. God, I thank you for the promises of your word that you promise that you will not pour your wrath upon your people, that that we are not going to be the recipients of your wrath, but we have been recipients of grace through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we're looking for that call, that trumpet sound to take us home soon. Lord, we pray for those that have not come to that place of faith and trust in you. God, you've provided a way out through your son, Jesus. And if you're in this room or watching online, my suggestion is you, to you is this. Choose Jesus. He has an offering for you that will change your eternal destiny. From sin, sorrow, and suffering to eternal life. And the way to choose him is to simply pray, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all of my sin. I don't want to be under judgment. I want to be gifted grace and eternal life. Lord, give me grace to be able to live in the midst of chaos and peace, in the midst of disasters, and to trust in you in all things. And Holy Spirit, lead me every day. The words I say, the actions I do, as opportunities to be able to snatch others from the fire that's about to happen. God, I thank you for the privilege of being with this body. May you continue to use us for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.
That's going to be a glorious day when we hear you call us home when that trumpet sounds and we're taken out of this world. But it grieves my heart to consider all those that will have to experience your wrath. So Lord, till then, with the anticipation of your coming and your calling us home, may we be about your work. And share the good news of salvation and eternal life with everyone and anyone who will listen. So that that day they would join us in the heavens. We look forward to that day when Satan is finally defeated. When death and sin, sorrow and suffering is all cast into the eternal lake of fire. And we have that new heaven and new earth. But till then. May we not be a people that's moved. May we be a people that is a light in a dark place. Lead us, Holy Spirit, we pray in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And praise Jesus and Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.